night and uh, just uh, again following along going exponentially uh, throughout the Psalms and uh, it's been interesting we've been making this progression and we've been looking at uh, David as he's walking this path of faith and it's sometimes where it seems like he's excelling and doing great at other times he hits these valleys and it's sort of like the the Christian life is this roller coaster ups and downs and you got your valleys and your mountains and that's the way that the Christian life goes. We don't ride the top every single day, but uh, we learn from these lows, even as David, the man after God's own heart, as he's dealing with them in his own life, how to navigate, even when we are in those lows, uh, to still praise God. And this is what we see here in Psalm 13. Uh, there was a saying that I've learned a long time ago, and it's true. Um, don't let the devil steal your joy. You guys ever hear that? Don't let the devil steal your joy. So you go through the psalm tonight, you'll recognize at the very end of the song that there is a song that David is singing. And what I've entitled this is, Don't Let the Devil Steal Your Song. You know, we need to still keep on singing, keep on praising, keep on serving the Lord. And this is what you'll see as we travel through Psalm 13. Just six short verses, but again, it just highlights the, the, the Christian life. It begins in and crisis and he ends with confidence and so psalm 13 it says how long wilt thou forget me o lord forever how long wilt thou hide thy face from me how long shall i take counsel in my soul having sorrow in my heart daily how long shall mine enemy be exalted over me consider and hear me o lord my god lighten mine eyes lest i sleep the sleep of death Lest mine enemies say I have prevailed against him, and those that trouble me rejoice when I am moved. I have trusted in thy mercy. My heart shall rejoice in thy salvation. I will sing unto the Lord because he hath dealt bountifully with me. Let us pray tonight. Heavenly Father, Lord, again, you know the needs that are represented tonight, and things that we're going through, some that haven't been mentioned. But Lord, you know all about them. Lord, you know our thoughts are far off, and Lord, you know our hearts. But, Lord, help us to step out of this church tonight in confidence, knowing that you're in full control. Uh, Lord, we know that um, things are not always as good as what they can be because you're not uh, here physically ruling and reigning. Lord, as you know, that one day you will be uh, setting up your throne. And uh, that, that reign that will reign forever and ever. Men's kingdoms are only short. Uh, the people that are around us are, are sinful and uh, the life that we live is really uncertain in many ways. We don't know tonight, uh, Lord, whether we're going to make it another day, but Lord, you know it. You know it. Our days are in the palms of your hands, and Lord, we're grateful for the salvation that you've wrought for us on the cross of Calvary. May we give you all the glory. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Tonight, as we begin the psalm, and we see that we begin on a minor key, as David uh, begins to cry out unto the Lord, don't, don't forget me, Lord, don't, 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 don't forget me. Uh, in the midst of everything that you're doing here upon the face of this earth, well, Lord, we know that you're still in control. I believe David uh, was convinced of that fact, that he knew that God was still in control, but he gets to this point in his life, he says, don't, don't forget me, and we hit this minor key here in this psalm where it seems like things are at an all-time low in the life of David, this man after God's own heart. 
But as we end the psalm, and again, it's really remarkable to me as we begin to end in that verse 6 where he says, I'll sing unto the Lord. It's almost like the star-spangled spanner where they're looking out and they're trying to see if that flag is still waving in the air. And David looks out with confidence and says, yeah, I see it. It's still there. The Lord is still in control and I can still rejoice. My troubles are going to come to an end and very soon. And he has this confidence. So we begin with this sighing and we end with this singing and this is what David is trying to communicate to us, that even in our darkest moments, we can still have joy, we can still have peace. As the Apostle Paul would write over, I believe it's in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, somewhere around there. No, it's chapter 6, I believe it is, where he says, sometimes we're sorrowing, and other times we're triumphing. Even in our sorrows, we're triumphing, because Christ is in full control. And uh, though this is a short psalm, Again, there's a lot of change that takes place right in between there. It's like the fall season, you know, uh, where it's just this uh, dreariness, but we know that spring is coming shortly. These verses show us the difference that God makes, the difference that God makes. Because again, David, when he's looking at his own life and there's this introspection and he's uh, communicating with his own soul and his own spirit and he's seeing through his own eyes, and he has this introspection. It seems very dark without God's presence there. And with all the cancel culture going on, I believe we need to cancel culture itself, don't you? Uh, but when we see God's presence, that's when the peace comes in. And this is what we're looking for. We're looking for God's presence. Without God's presence, you're a mess. I'm a mess. We're all a mess. Um, because God's presence is the thing that makes the difference. And with God's presence, we can take on the world. Uh, it's really interesting how he begins, and he communicates this four different times, where it seems like he's almost asking the same question, how long? I ask that question every time I'm in the hospital room, and I'm sitting there, how long is it going to be before the doctors see me? <laughs> I mean, I've put in my name, and it seems like three, four, five uh, hours, like my, my wife's friend Brooke, when she was in that waiting room for over eight hours, I think, it ended up being about nine or ten hours before she was finally seen. It's like, how long? I've been here all day. When are the doctors going to see me? Don't they know I have problems, issues? I wouldn't be going to the emergency room if it wasn't an issue. It's like going to the DMV and you're sitting there and you're waiting in line and it's taking forever and ever and ever. Don't they know I have things to do? How long? How long? Like the war in Ukraine and it seems to be dragging on forever and ever and they told us, that it's only going to be a short time, and of course they don't know. And then, wow, the whole time they're taking our money and things like this, and again, we won't go into the politics, but I look at the situation over there and I say, how long? How long? We look at the crimes in the streets and we look at that situation over there, and again, we say, how long? How long will we let the crime progress in the streets where there used to be safety and used to be peace, and we wonder if there's any solution, and we're wondering about our kids. Are they really going to get an education? Are things going to be okay for them? How long are we going to allow things to drag out like this, the introspection that we see there? It's almost sarcastic when I look at that first verse. It's not only how long without forget me, O Lord, and I, I like that next part, forever. It's like my kids tell me sometimes, it's like, Dad, this is taking forever. <laughs> They don't even know how long forever is. And sometimes when I'm stuck in traffic, I get the same sort of attitude. I'm like, this is taking forever. 
David is in a situation where it seems like this is taking forever. It's like time has come to a standstill, and you're left alone with nothing but your thoughts, and a million things are going in and out, in and out. You're trying to figure out the solution. And I've learned this a long time ago. I'm not the solution to my problems. When I'm trying to figure out my own self, what, what, what I can do to try to fix my situation, figure out that I'm not the Savior. God is the Savior. And we need to look to Him for the solution to our problems. But uh, again, a lot of times we're, we're, we're left alone with our thoughts. And sometimes that's torture. You know what I mean? When you're sitting there, you're thinking about every single situation, how it's all going to work out, what other people are going to say, what other people are going to do. It's almost like a chess game trying to figure it all out, processing it all. It's like the old canary in the coal mine. It's like you're down below in the coal mine and you're trying to listen for the sound of that canary. As long as he's singing, I know I'm okay. Someone once said, God's care for his children is like the sun. is constant, even when the clouds obscure it still there. The clouds might be in the way, but the sun hasn't, hasn't moved. Still there. Three times in the text, we find the Lord mentioned. We find the Lord mentioned in verse 1, How long will thou forget me, O Lord? In verse 3, Consider and hear me, O Lord. In verse 6, I'll sing unto the Lord. Capital L-O-R-D. Jehovah God. It's his, it's who he is, the all-existent, all-wise, the all-powerful God, God who is faithfully committed to serving his people. That's the God that David is communicating with and expressing his concerns. God's consistent as a son, but man is fallible, and that, you know, that's an understatement. We're fallible as can be. Again, we don't have all the answers. But there's a contrast between verses 1 and verses 5 and 6. It's almost as we have two different people here. It's like, but yet we know it's the same David. The same David. But the con- contrast is unbelievable when we look at, uh, at the, it seems like the, the, the struggle in verse 1 and then the confidence in verse 6. And, and it's just like this... And dual nature within the believer where we're trying to figure out that old battle with the flesh and the confidence and the spirit and trying to walk in the spirit and not the flesh. It's that struggle that's going on and the struggle is real. One of Job's friends, uh, I move on to this for, I believe this will help you out. But one of Job's friends, Eliphaz, not all of his friends say it, everything good, but uh, one of his friends has something really good to say. Job 22, verse 21. It says, acquaint now thyself with him and be at peace. Acquaint now thyself with him and be at peace. It's similar to Isaiah 26. He says, thou will keep him at perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusteth in thee. It's almost the same equivalent there. Acquaint thyself with the Lord. And that's what we're going to find David doing. He's going to be acquainting himself with the Lord. He recognizes that, God, again, that he's in control, but sometimes we got to remember who he is and his power and his, his mercy and his love and his abilities. Acquaint means to get to know. Not acquainted with our feelings, not acquainted with ourselves, but acquainted with God. That's what we need. And like David, our first step toward comfort is to go and take our matter to God and acquaint ourselves with him. David trusted in the Lord.
He prayed unto the Lord, and he trusted in the Lord. And that's what uh, is in for store for us tonight. That's what we need to do, to pray and to trust. So let's look at this tonight. The soul's agitation. He says, how long will thou forget me? How long shall I take counsel of my soul, having sorrow in my heart? And again, four times he mentions this. As he asked the question, we see that, uh, number one, that David has need of patience, and patience is not an easy thing for many of us. How many of you are good at patience? Not me. I struggle with it. <laughs> at a time when I was younger, I seemed to have all the patience in the world, but the older I get, the less and less patience I seem to have. And here's the situation that David is in. He doesn't want to wait. Lord, where are you? I need you now. Lord, what's going on? Have you forgotten? <laughs> we got a time schedule to keep up with here. Lord, I need you now. Uh, it seems like he's wondering where the Lord is. We, get, we, we need things to work out. My enemies are close by, and my thoughts are catching up to me, and I'm agitated. Lord, I need you now. It's like the situation where King Saul was in, and of course King Saul was the first king of Israel, and he made that uh, big mistake and against his first battle against the, what is the Philistines. 1 Samuel 13. He's going to go up to battle against him, and he's waiting, waiting for Samuel. And it seems like he's waiting a long time. At least that's what it feels like. It's only been seven days. But yet he sees the Philistines are getting closer and closer and closer. He sees the fear amongst his own people, and they're just all in turmoil, panicking, wondering what's going on, wondering if the, the Philistines are going to come upon him before Samuel shows up. And Saul does the unthinkable. What he does is he takes the sacrifices. He says, bring here the sacrifices, the burnt offerings, the peace offerings. Bring it here, all sacrifice. And as he begins to sacrifice and offer up those animals, next thing you know, here comes Samuel. And he says, what has, you do? what has thou done? He began to be impatient instead of waiting for the Lord, doing it his own way, and it ended up costing him the kingdom. Instead of being patient, he blamed the people. Instead of being patient and, and, and acting in obedience, he decided to act out on his own feelings. And he disobeyed God. We used to have this saying in the military, hurry up and wait. I've been there many times. Hurry up and wait. And sometimes it seems as if God is moving so slowly, it feels like eternity. We live in a day which everyone's in a hurry all the time. Travel down the road, people cut you off, and, and you're trying to get someplace, and it's, you, know, you just can't get there fast enough. You're waiting for your food at Dunkin' Donuts or one of these other places, and it's taking forever, and we need to get there now. And God says, I want you to slow down. Wait. Most of us can relate to what happened to this New England preacher, Philip Brooks. Uh, he was normally a calm man and seemed to be very reserved. Phyllis Brook, he was one day pacing the floor like a caged lion, and a friend asked me, he says, what's the trouble? And Brook's classic reply was, the trouble is, I'm in a hurry, but God is not. You know, it's throughout all the pages of Scripture, it's, it's like that in many places where we turn, where we look at the children of Israel, and they're turning behind them after God has uh, told, promised them. He says, I want you to go and take all these earrings. I want to deliver you. And they're, they're fleeing, and it seems like, yes, God is in control, and yes, we've been set free. And they come up against the Red Sea, and they see the Egyptian army behind them. and say, God, we need you now. What's going on? Are you, are you trying to kill us? 
They said, God, we need you now. They were in a hurry, not recognizing that God was going to do something very powerful. We look at the dream of Joseph where God reveals this dream to Joseph as a young teenage boy, and he has these two dreams, and he recognizes that God's going to exalt him to a position of authority. Uh, and, of course, he didn't know it was going to be over all of Egypt at this period of time, but God revealed to him that he's going to be in authority over uh, a bunch of people, especially his 12 brothers, and, of course, they, they couldn't imagine that happening. Eleven brothers, sorry. But yet we know through God's plan, was it Joseph, he wasn't reckoning on the fact that the path that God would take him. He wasn't reckoning on the fact that he would be sold into slavery. That wasn't according to Joseph. I don't think he was part of God's plan. God, you said I want to be in a position of authority, and look, I'm in slavery. This is the opposite of what's supposed to happen. Get sold to Potiphar. Serve as a servant, as a slave for, for years. Eventually, he's uh, being wrongfully accused by Potiphar's wife, where Potiphar's wife says he's trying to make advancements to me when the opposite was the case. He ends up being put into prison, and, and, and there he's still waiting and saying, what's God's plan with this? He's got two of Pharaoh's People who would normally be next to him in the kingdom, but yet they've been thrown into prison and Joseph interprets their dreams. One of them is going to be restored. The other is going to be uh, slain and his head taken off of him. And the one that he interpreted the dream in which he was going to be delivered, he says, I want you to go and remember me when you are restored. The guy's restored next to Pharaoh. Of course, he has complete access as the king's cupbearer. Pharaoh's cupbearer, but he forgets about him that first year. He forgets about him the second year. Then finally, God reveals a dream to Pharaoh where he reveals to him that he's going to have seven years of plenty and seven years of famine, and they want to prepare for this. And he says, I know a man, I know a man who can interpret dreams. And he goes and he uh, tells them all about Joseph. Joseph is picked up out of the prison and elevated to the next in command to, to Pharaoh. And for us, we thought to ourselves, man, that is a long, long time that Joseph had to wait. Long, long time. I thought to myself, read through Exodus many times, and uh, in the book of Exodus, all the plagues that happened to the nation of, of Egypt, where God shows himself strong. Don't you know this, that God could have delivered the nation of Israel after the first plague? He could have skipped through all the rest of them and just went to the plague of the firstborn and delivered them. Could have set them free. I believe that God could have done that, but he didn't. Sometimes you wonder why God would take his time in going through all the motions of going one plague after another through ten plagues before finally they are redeemed. But I found a scripture, uh, a passage of scripture one time, and it's in Exodus chapter 10, verses 1 and 2, where the Bible says this, And the Lord said unto Moses, Go in unto Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and the heart of his servants, that I might show these my signs before him. And here it is, the second verse. And that thou mayest tell in the ears of thy son and thy son's sons, what things I have wrought in Egypt, and my signs which I have done among them, that ye may know how that I am God. 
Many times I've heard the passage, I mean, when people are preaching, oftentimes I, I think about, well, God is trying to show all these things to the nation of Egypt. And again, He is. But God points out the fact it wasn't primarily for Egypt, but it was primarily for Israel. He says that you may know, that you might tell it to your children and to your children's children, to your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren, that you might pass it along, that they might know that I am God. And how often, how easy is it for, it seems like the generations that go down by, it seems like not only the children seem to forget, have this amnesia, but the grandchildren seem to forget that God is God. After all that God has done for us, we feel the pressure, but God wants us to know His power. God, where are you? <laughs> Listen, we don't have any power in of ourselves. We feel the pressure that we might know God's power. We have need not only of patience, but need of peace. First part of the question is a matter of time. How long? But the second part of the question is a matter of, of peace. And we see it in the words that he uses, uh, words like forget, hide, sorrow, enemy. It's like the disciples here when we think about this turmoil that's going on. The disciples on the Sea of Galilee, when they're out there on that ship, and it seems like all of a sudden these winds and the waves seem to encompass the ship that they're on and just getting greater and greater and pounding the ship and flooding the ship full of water. And all of a sudden, you know, Jesus is asleep at the bottom of the ship and, and somebody gets the bright idea say, why don't we go down and wake up the Master? All the, all the anxiety and all the fear and all the trouble that they're dealing with, somebody gets the bright idea, so why don't we go down and wake up the master? Jesus, cares thou not that we perish. What does Jesus do? Gets up like nothing's going on. Climbs to the top of the ship. Rebukes the wind, rebukes the waves. Everything comes to a, 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 a calm, a peace like nobody's ever seen. And finally, he looks over at his disciples, he turns to them and he says, Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? He brings the peace. The awareness that God is what checks our problems and brings this peace. The awareness of God is what brings calmness into our soul. When God seems distant, what we need to do is look up. He's above you. Psalm 115, verse 3 says, But our God is in the heavens. He had done whatsoever He hath pleased. We're so busy looking at a TV screen, and we're looking for God at a book, and we're looking for God in uh, every place where we ought to be looking for Him, and we ought to be looking up. One thing that I can say that seems to be true is that with this technology, our children are missing out on what true relationships are really about. They think that maybe, you, maybe they can text God, you know what I mean? because that's what it's all about, texting these days. They know how to text, but they don't know how to talk to God. They know how to Google, but they don't know how to walk with God. They, they know how to uh, do all these other things, and it seems like our children are incredibly smart. You give them a computer, and they can, they can do, what, do whatever. I mean, they can build programs galore. They can shoot up rockets to the moon. They can do incredible things, and it's amazing how smart that they are. But yet, when it comes to the knowledge of God, they, they are absolutely helpless. 
And we need to get tell our children, point them so that they know how to look up when they come to a, a crisis point like this. And God is here with us. And, and all David has to do is look up and see that there is a God. He is on his throne. He is in control. Seems to me, it's just like they know how to, when it comes to the scriptures, we, we've taught them to repeat. And they know how to repeat back what they've learned, but they've never embraced it their own selves. Seems one area of convictions they've they they have failed in. They might have their parents' convictions. They might have the convictions when they come to church, and, and they they they're able to know the right answers, and they're able to repeat it back to you. But when you when you put them in the corner, when the trial comes, what are they going to do? That shows you what's on the inside. They need to have convictions for their own selves and to to embrace it. I hope my, I teach my children, and I hope that they, they, they form their own convictions, that they are Bible. It's, they've, they've come to these truths. It's not something that somebody else told them, but they are persuaded that the Bible is true, it's accurate, and they know who God is, and they know Him as their personal Savior, and they grow to learn to love Him and to serve Him with all their hearts and all their minds and all their souls, and they know the answers to the problems of today. They don't have to go out and try the things of this world and let anybody else convince them of some agnostic truth but all is not lost all we have to do is look up God's above you look ahead God is before you Deuteronomy 31 8 and the Lord he is he, he it is that doth go before thee he will be with thee he will not fail thee neither forsake thee fear not neither be dismayed like a shepherd Leading the way, we're to look for the Savior. Lord, point the way that I might follow. This is the way, walk ye in it. And we're to follow. He's before you. Like Moses when he was pleading with the Lord. Lord, if you don't go with us, don't bring us up out of here. Wherever you are, that's where we need to be. But he's before you, already fighting the battles that are ahead. He knows the way that we take. Are you following the leading of His voice and of His Holy Spirit? Look back. He's behind you. Like Joseph, we can look back, and it's just like uh, we know hindsight's twenty twenty, right? Joseph could look back at the end of all of the years and the and trouble that he took to climbing to this position that God revealed to him would happen way back when he was a teenager. And he could look back at all those times when his brothers would come before him and said, you know, our dad said that uh, you ought not to kill us, you know, and they were fearful and they were afraid. And I can understand why they were afraid. But Joseph was able to look to his brothers and would tell them this. He says, you thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good to bring to pass as it is this day to save much people alive. To save much people alive. God had a plan all along. And we're to, we're to pay attention. You know, a lot of times when I look back and see the path that God has taken me, I'm glad He didn't reveal the plan ahead of time. But when I look back, I see God's hand every step of the way uh, that I've taken. God is faithful. To look around, He is with you. Think of the servant of Elijah whose eyes were open when he sees the chariots of fire. When Elijah prays that his eyes would be open and he looks around and he sees chariots of fire round about him. Psalm 34 says this. He says, The angel of the Lord encampeth round about them that fear him and delivereth, delivereth them. And God is still God with the lights on or off. You know, even when you can't see, God's still there. It's like your child, you know, when they're very, very young, at least my children anyway. 
You go in and you uh, tell them, you know, everything's going to be okay. We need that nightlight on, Dad. <laughs> uh, it'll be okay if I turn it off. I'm still there. I can still hear your voice. I know where you are. The success of God's servants have always been to the fact that God was with them. That God was with them. God was with Joseph. It's what Rahab recognized when the 12 spies came unto her, or well, two spies came unto her, and she told them, she said, we heard all about your guy. They recognized God was with them. It's what Paul and Silas found out when they prayed in the prison cell, when the doors were open, that God was with them. It's what Peter found out when he was asleep there in the dungeon waiting for his execution to come, when the angels woke him up and said, it's time to go. Found out that God was with him. We're not, we are nothing if God is not with us. We are nothing if God is not with us. We cannot go out to the battle like Israel against Ai if God is not with us. We can't shake ourselves like Samson and hope that everything turns out okay. We must know that God is with us, and He is. God's presence is not a feeling. The Bible describes our relationship with God as a walk. You don't walk with your feelings. Some people do, I guess. <laughs> you know, they carry their emotions on their sleeve, but you don't walk with a feeling. You walk with a person. We're to have a relationship with God. And may we know that the, uh, may, may the thing that we value most is our personal relationship with God and know that He is with you. And then to look within. He is for you. 1 John 4, 4 says this, You are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is He that is in you than he that is in the world. It's in this time of turmoil that we truly get a sense of our desperate need of God. Before then, it seems like we have all the answers. Before then, it seems like we're strong. Before then, it seems like we don't really need God as much as what we really do, but when we're in the trouble, then we recognize the fact that uh, we, we don't have everything figured out the way that we thought that we did. And then we find out that God is actually the source of wisdom and God is actually the source of our strength. And God's the, the answer to all of our problems. And then we realize, hey, God, I need you. I'm sorry. And we need to go to the source that we might have the power, we might have the peace, we might have the calm, and we might be able to bear out the patience of, of life's darkest times. And that's a big lesson. The biggest lesson of all, again, that we need God and we need His grace. Macho men try to do everything themselves. I've, my mother used to always tell me this, son, work smarter and not harder. You know, smart men, they know where to turn to for the answers, right? Turn to God. Turn to God for your power. Turn to God for your wisdom. Turn to God for your help. Psalmist says this, I'll look unto the hills from whence cometh my help. My help cometh from the Lord, the soul's supplication. I like David. Uh, you know, as some people, we get frustrated uh, when we look at some of the things that he's saying. How long, O oh Lord? Well, I guess I'll do it my own way. How long, O oh Lord, you didn't show up? I guess I'll find someone else to help me out. How long, O oh Lord? All right, if that's the way you're going to be. See, David, David doesn't give up on the Lord, and David doesn't go looking for an alternative to God because God's the only alternative that he needs. Uh, he doesn't try to throw in the towel and say, well, you know what, this is worthless. 
He keeps holding on. He still keeps praying and crying out unto God, still clinging to Him and clinging to His power, clinging to His wisdom. Like the disciples, may we say, to whom shall we go, Lord? You have the words of eternal life. David, again, refuses to give up and we ought not to be looking for alternatives either. R.A. Torrey once said this. He says, the reason why many fail in battle is because they wait until the hour of battle. The reason why others succeed is because they have gained their victory on their knees long before the battle came. Anticipate your battles and fight them on your knees. David prays. And we see... These words in verse verse 3, Consider and hear me, O Lord, my God. O Lord, my God. Speaking of his covenant relationship with the Lord, and he asked for two things. He asked for this fresh revelation of God, and he asked for a full restoration to God. But his fresh revelation says, Lighten mine eyes. His request here would dispel any doubts that I might have. Lord, lighten mine eyes. Give me a new personal revelation of you and your power to see your purpose in all this. The function of true prayer is to make us aware of God. And when we come to Him in genuine supplication and faith, believing God stands ready to reveal Himself to us. The Bible makes clear when it says, He that cometh to God must believe that He is and that He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. We must be seeking the Lord. I mean, we study through the Bible characters and we look down through the history and some of the greatest people in this world have been people who have been down on their knees praying and praying and praying and seeing God answer. Think of people like George Whitfield, think of people like John Wesley, think of uh, so many others who have gone on before and they've prayed for years and God answered those prayers. They didn't give up knowing, knowing that the Lord was hearing and answering those prayers for them. And they received this um, confident answer uh, to their prayers. Isaiah 6 says, In the year the king Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon his throne high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. We see more of God in our times of trials than we do in our times of ease. Has that been your experience? I've seen, I've been closer to God more in my times of trials. I've seen God do many incredible things in times of my trials. I've seen God work in incredible ways. But when it comes to our time of ease, it's just like we, yeah, we, we pray and yeah, we study our Bible, but it's, Nothing replaces those times of trials that we go through. I see this full restoration to God. Light mine eyes lest I sleep the sleep of death, lest mine enemies say I have prevailed against him, and those that trouble me rejoice when I am moved. David's not giving any information that God doesn't already know. It's, he already has all the answers. He already knows what's going on. He's all wise. He's all knowing. He's not trying to tell him something he doesn't already know. He's just laying out his petitions before the Lord and said, this is the situation. Seems like, Lord, if you don't answer, this might be it for me. Seems like if you don't answer, my enemies are going to overcome me. 
seems like if you don't answer, it seems like they, they are going to be the ones who have the upper hands. And he begins to spread out his petitions like uh, Jehoshaphat in Second Chronicles chapter 20, where it lays out his petitions before the Lord. And the Lord hears and he answers those prayers and he prevails over the enemies. But we must take our prayers to God. It's the church that Christ purchased with his own blood. It was to the church that God poured out his gift of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. I mean, if you want to find God, where are you going to find him? You can find him at home there on your knees. You can find him in the Word, but what better place than the church? It's where he reveals himself to those he loves. Again, he purchases with his own blood. He revealed the Holy Spirit. He uh, uh, gives reference to the fact that it's the, the church is the pillar and ground of the truth. John was the one on the Isle of Patmos who received the revelation, which is part of the canon of Scripture which we have. It's through the church that God chooses to work. It's to the church that God reveals Himself. It's to the church uh, that God reveals Himself in in the seven churches of Revelation. It's to the church that the Bible tells us where two or three are gathered together in His name. There am I in the midst. What better place to go? Than to the church. Seems like that's the place that many are neglecting when they're going through troubles and trials and hardships. They want to go to anywhere else but the church, but the church is what they need. They need to be surrounded by fellow brothers and sisters in Christ to encourage them in the Lord to tell them, hey, I've been where you've been. I've walked through some of those valleys you've walked through. Uh, and your God, my God, is faithful. He could help you through it. Sometimes the frustration of the present threatens to undermine the trust of the, what you're going through now. Frustration of the presence threatens to undermine the trust that comes from remembering the past. Sometimes it's not easy to walk through these valleys, but this is where faith comes in. I like what Vance Habner once said. He says, God uses broken things. It's the broken soil that produces the crop. It's the broken clouds which gives the rain. It's the broken grain which comes the bread. Brokenness and faith are the two essentials for revival. David's brokenness, he drives him to his knees and he begins to pray and he's praying in faith. He's trusting in the God who acted in the past, who will be faithful in the present. He hopes in the future and this is where David comes to this song that he's going to be singing. The song. And we see that his prayer has changed him, it looks like. Someone once said that the answer to prayer is not so much that it changes life, but that it changes you. And we see the soul's jubilation here in these last two verses. But I've trusted in thy mercy. My heart shall rejoice in thy salvation. I will sing unto the Lord because he hath dealt bountifully with me. We see here David's darkness gives way to light, and he's rejoicing all of a sudden. Things begin to change within his soul as he's looking at the circumstances. It doesn't seem so much that the circumstances have changed at all. At least it doesn't appear. But, of course, we're not told about the circumstance. We're not told about the time frame. We don't even know if there's a difference between verse 1 and verse 6 as far as the time lapse that's in between. What we do know is it starts out in brokenness, but then this revival breaks out in the heart of David And he begins to express his faith. And it's this confirmed faith that he begins to express. He says, I've trusted in thy mercy. It's this 
perfect tense verb. It's something that took place in the past, but moment that he received um, salvation all the way into the present, where it's ongoing. It may not be perfect every step of the way. Again, the, this faith, it has an ebb and a flow to it, but uh, every step of the way as we walk with God, our faith begins to grow as we see Him faithful over and over and over again. It's this confidence that he begins to express. Yeah, I know what's going on in my life now, but I've trusted in thy mercy. I've trusted in the past, and I'm trusting in the present, and I'll begin, I'll continue to trust all the way into the future. I have trusted, I am trusting, and I'll continue to trust. My heart shall rejoice in thy salvation. I want to concentrate on this last part for just a moment because this is, what gets me out of all, all the text that I see here in verses 1 through 6 is this verse in particular that stands out and is highlighted for me with this renewed song that he has. He says, again, my heart shall rejoice in thy salvation. Like the Apostle Paul says, rejoice in the Lord again. Uh, I say rejoice, but here's, I will sing unto the Lord because he had dealt bountifully with me. I was looking at that song, the singing. It's interesting when you look down through the scriptures and you look at all the places where songs are mentioned, it's really amazing because you see, initially, you see in Exodus chapter 15, after the crossing of the Red Sea, uh, on the other side, after Israel's enemies are swallowed up in that Red Sea, all of a sudden, Israel breaks out in song, and now they're singing the song of Moses. Go over to the book of Judges, and the book of Judges is not the uh, most... Uh, uh, enthusiastic or encouraging book there is, you know what I mean? But in the book of Judges, we see this woman named Deborah, Deborah the prophetess, and she's, she is after the battle, after Deborah and Barak go into this battle, and they beat Sisera, uh, the, the, the king that's there, and they begin to prevail, and at the end of the battle, all of a sudden, Deborah begins to sing a song in jubilation because of the victory that was wrought. We see other songs that take place, and of course I know it applies to other parts of it. Well, I, I, I realize over in the psalm it begins to talk about a, God has given you a new song in your heart. I believe a lot of that comes because of salvation. You can't sing the old songs you used to sing. You sing a new song that comes out of your heart. I think of the songs that are sung in worship in the temple and David begins to appoint certain singers and, to sing, and they begin to rejoice and begin to sing. In fact, in this passage of Scripture in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, Jehoshaphat gets news from a prophet as he begins to go out in battle against an enemy and, and God tells him as Jehoshaphat is all worried about what's going to take place and, and the prophet reveals unto him and he says this, he says, you shall not need to fight in this battle. Set yourself, stand ye still and See the salvation of the Lord with you, O Judah and Jerusalem. Fear not, nor be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against him, for the Lord will be with you. And Jehoshaphat bowed his head into the face to the ground, and all Judah and the inhabitants there, they, they all fell down, and they began to worship as well as they get the news. Hey, God's going to fight for you. You're going to win. You don't need to go out and fight. God's going to fight for you. He will win. He will prevail. And the very next day, the very next day they get out and they prepare themselves for the battle. And Jehoshaphat has this pep talk with his men who are going to go out to this battle. And he says, guys, listen up. Listen, I want you to hear what I got to say. I want you to listen to me. He says, oh, you, oh Judah, oh, you inhabitants of Jerusalem, believe in the Lord your God, so shall you be established. Believe his prophets. 
That's essential. This is what David is doing. He's believing in the Lord. Believe his prophets. You should be established. Believe his prophets, so shall you prosper. And when he had consulted with the people, he appointed singers unto the Lord that they should praise the beauty of holiness as they went out before the army and say, Praise the Lord for his mercy endured forever. Now, get this, they haven't, they haven't even went out to battle. God told them that they were going to win the battle. Why are they singing? They're singing from the position of victory as if it's already won. Just like you said, believe the Lord. They said the battle is already done. It's already won. We've already prevailed. Why is David singing here in this song? Because he's singing from a position of victory as if it was already won. As if we don't even have to go out to the battle. We're just going through the motions knowing that God's going to win the day. And I don't have to worry about my problem. I don't have to worry about the situation. I don't have to worry about uh, what's going to happen tomorrow because God's already got the problem. I'm going to continue to trust in Him. And I want to continue to pray. And I want to continue to believe. And I want to be sold out. And I want to sing unto the Lord. Have you lost your song? Again, it started out, don't let the devil steal your joy. But can I say this? Don't let the devil steal your song. We can still, as people who have been saved by the grace of God, knowing that he has canceled out all of our sins, having won the day on the cross, uh, taking away the penalty of all of our sins and conquer death, hell, and the grave, how can he not conquer anything else? We don't have to worry about who the next president is going to be. We don't have to worry about what's going to happen tomorrow. Singing always breaks out when the soul experiences deliverance. The soul's agitation, the soul's supplication, the soul's jubilation. God's purposes in our lives is never fulfilled until we have been bought out of soul conflict into soul conquest. I like this. There's no conquest without conflicts, no rainbows without clouds, no calms without storms, and the hardest victory is the victory over self. Did you get that? There's no rainbows without the clouds. It's all right that we go through troubles. Just brings us that much closer to the Lord. Don't let the devil steal your song. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for tonight. Lord, we praise you. Lord, I pray that you just help us in our weakness. Every one of us have been there. We don't like to wait and we don't enjoy the pressures. But Lord, you're not only in control of the course that we take, but you're also in control of the clock. I pray that you just help our wandering hearts and bind it with you, Lord. Help us to keep our eyes focused and fastened on the Lord of glory, to continue to pray and to continue to trust as we've lifted up all the requests on these prayer sheets, Lord, as we've been praying, uh, no doubt, for some instances, maybe many years, but we'll praise you for the deliverance. We'll keep our song. We'll 
continue to trust in you. Lord, we love you. Keep us safe as we go out tonight. And Lord, we look forward to hearing your word at the next appointed time. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.